brought to you by the students of Mary Persons High School in conjunction with MPTV. This is Monroe County Schools Radio, exclusively on Magic 100 FM. I'm your host, Carrie Buckendale. First this morning, holiday break is officially underway for Monroe County Schools. The first semester has wrapped up and students are enjoying some much needed time off. For his thoughts on the first half of the school year and a number of other topics, I sat down with Monroe County Schools Superintendent, Dr. Mike Hickman. All right, Dr. Hickman, thank you for joining us this morning. I want to start off by talking about the first semester. We just finished it up. How are you feeling about this first semester? Well, we're excited uh, that we had a successful first semester. Obviously, uh, our COVID-19 cases are down across the district. Uh, most of our kids are back face-to-face. And I think we've seen, based on the reports that we're getting from the school level, uh, huge improvements with reading and math scores. So we're excited about that. Uh, we're looking forward to second semester. I think a sense of normalcy uh, is, is starting to uh, be back in our school district again. And that's important because our children need school, uh, our staff needs school. So uh, we're happy for first semester and we're looking forward for a great second semester. With that normalcy, it's really felt good this year because we've had things going on every night at the Fine Arts Center. We've had kids competing all over the state in various events. It's got to feel good to have them back in the house, so to speak. It is. Uh, we worked real hard to make sure that our online education uh, was above par, and I think we did a really good job. But to me, uh, the the largest part of school for our young people is the engagement that they have with the other kids and with the different activities that are involved with school. We have so many kids that participate in athletics, fine arts, CTAE, STEM activities, and to get them going again was really important for our school district. Uh, I think it's one of the things that sets us apart from other school districts is that we have so many things for our kids to do other than the core content academics uh, that we thrive on throughout the year. Now, with all those things to do, that kind of leads to the next step for the district. And I know one thing that you have really wanted to develop is a college and career academy. So can you tell us a little bit about how a college and career academy works and what the next step in the process is for us? All right. Uh, thank you for asking that. Uh, we actually applied for a college and career academy grant uh, this past year. And basically, that money is provided through the state legislature. And this past year, uh, they funded three different grants at $3.1 million each. And there would be three districts chosen from the applications and interviews uh, that would get that funding to build a college and career academy in their school district or in their county. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we were not one of the school districts chosen this year. Uh, there were three school districts chosen. I think it was Lumpkin County, Candler County, and Mitchell County and Monroe County and Dooley County applied, interviewed, uh, but were not awarded the grant this year. Uh, I do believe that we were told by uh, the folks at the State Department that typically uh, those systems that were chosen were already in the queue, meaning that they had already applied before. And so that probably gave those districts a leg up in the application process. So we're excited about continuing this process and actually applying uh, this upcoming year. Uh, we will get feedback uh, from the technical uh, school system of Georgia uh, for, as far as what our interview 
and uh, our application, if there are ways we can improve that, then we'll look to do that. The main thing, the most important thing is that uh, the legislature this coming year when they begin their work in January, uh, find a way in their budget to allow for other grants this year. So we'd love to see more than three, possibly funded by the district, I mean by the state. But if there are any uh, funding, we will be trying to apply and interview and bring a college and career academy here to our uh, school system. And actually, uh, the plans are to put the college and career academy behind our fine arts center and make it uh, continuous with the main campus and the freshman campus uh, here uh, at Mary Persons. So now this would be a way to offer more specialized education to students, CTAE, that kind of thing, is that correct? That is correct. Uh, it allows us uh, to grow our CTAE program. Uh, we actually are going to go in two different directions. The College and Career Academy will be able to offer some things in health science that we don't already offer. Uh, athletic trainership, uh, we've got things like uh, phlebotomist, uh, we've got nurse practitioner things that we can start uh, getting them involved with. So there's a lot of things that we can offer with the new health science track uh, in our new building. And the other is communications. We actually offer communications at the high school now, but they don't have a room. They don't have a place to broadcast. So many of their broadcasts and things that they do are in other rooms or out in the hallway at Mary Persons. So we're looking at putting a state-of-the-art broadcasting a facility in our communications track that will be in the College and Career Academy. Uh, our MP News crew can work out of there. Uh, Ms. Little has done a great job with that program, but they just do not have the resources to support many children. So once we get these two programs and we expand, I think we'll be able to offer more kids opportunities that actually will lead to certification in those areas as well as uh, going into college and career uh, with plans to stay in this area in those professional fields. That is so exciting and I know having worked with the, the broadcasting kids here and hearing them on the radio every week I know they would be very appreciative of a new location. They will love it and we will love it. Yes. Now. I do have to ask, recently we've seen a lot of stuff on social media. We've seen fake Instagram accounts, we've seen TikTok challenges, all kinds of frustrating things. And I know it can be difficult as a leader to determine what to take seriously, when do you need to act. Can you kind of give some thoughts on your thought process on taking threats seriously and when we need to be concerned? Well, obviously, we take any rumored threats very serious. Uh, we are always uh, paying attention to what's out on social media. And once we see of any potential threats, we contact. And one of the things that we're lucky with in the school system is that we partner with Monroe County Sheriff's Office. Uh, we have school resource officers in each of our schools. And any time that we are alerted about any type threat, uh, we work with our school resource offices and the sheriff's department to come up with a plan to address any uh, legitimate threats or even if rumors uh, like we uh, experienced today, which is December 17th, about the TikTok challenge for school violence uh, across the nation. So uh, we're diligent with any type threat uh, our principals are aware, our teachers are aware, 
And uh, one of the things that we want to make sure is that we keep all of our, um, our babies safe. Uh, one parent actually answered uh, when we sent out the fact that we were actually aware of these threats and we were taking heightened precautions as far as visibility in the buildings. A uh, parent actually emailed back and said, thanks for taking care of our babies. And uh, really and truly, that's our job. And that's one of our main reasons uh, for coming to school is first is to keep children safe. And if they're safe and they feel safe, then they'll learn and they'll be engaged in the, in the school process. Now, you and I were talking earlier today about the other social media stuff we've seen recently and the fake Instagram accounts. And people may say, well, why is that such a big deal? We're just having some fun. So why is it important to play nice, so to speak, on Instagram? Yeah, I, you have to be careful. And that's one of the things uh, social media there's the yin and the yang of social media. Social media can be great. Uh, a lot of times it's a way for us to communicate, uh, advertise, share, collaborate on different things, but there's also can be a negative side when uh, certain things um, are put out there that can be seen as hurtful, demeaning, or bully somebody in some way. So we, I think the biggest part of this is educating our kids and parents about the differences in those things. Uh, we try to do a good job uh, in the school, uh, our school leaders, our teachers, in guiding students on what's appropriate and what's not appropriate to post. Uh, the latest thing that we saw on Instagram were uh, Instagram accounts with uh, very derogatory titles where kids would upload names or pictures and basically try to make fun of students. And at the high school, Dr. Finch was alerted about that. and. Uh, stood very firm as far as getting those Instagram accounts taken down and uh, he actually put out a statement from the school that uh, that would not be tolerated and anybody found to be participating in that would be disciplined and I think the entire uh, school did not get their athletic wear day because of uh, those um, inappropriate uh, Instagram accounts that were put out there on social media but now I think everything is fine uh, but these are the things that we have to work through with social media. And I thought Dr. Finch and his staff did a really good job with that. Uh, that's one of the things that we have to constantly do is to monitor social media, to try to make sure that it's safe for our kids. I would urge parents, grandparents, teachers, leaders to do the same thing. Uh, part of our job in education is to make sure that the experiences that kids have are safe and that they're not involved in something that can be demeaning, derogatory, or uh, bullying in any way to any kids or group of kids. Uh, that's just not called for. We don't stand for that in the school district. So we're going to take a firm stand on those things that uh, are not appropriate on social media. All right, and Dr. Hickman, today obviously is the last day of school, so to speak, for the first semester. Do you have any final thoughts or messages for your students and staff as they head out for the end of the year? Well, uh, first and foremost, Merry Christmas, and uh, we wish everybody a Happy New Year because uh, we won't see them until the year has turned over to 2022. Uh, I'm very proud of our students uh, for their performance so far this year. They've done an awesome job. We, we're very lucky to have really good kids in our school system, and we're also lucky to have probably, in my opinion, the best teachers and uh, support staff in the state. So. 
with a combination of the best kids and the best teachers and the best support staff, uh, I think the future looks bright for Monroe County Schools and I look forward to a prosperous and safe 2022. Thank you, Dr. Hickman. Monroe County Schools offices will reopen on January 4th and students will return to the classroom on January 6th. Today, we're starting a three-part series on instructional coaches. Who are they? What exactly do they do? And why are they important to our schools? For our first segment, MPTV's Maddie Franklin spoke with Hubbard Elementary's instructional coach, Rana DeMichael. Hey, I'm Maddie Franklin, and today I'm gonna to be interviewing Ms. DeMichael. What's an instructional coach? An instructional coach is someone who serves on the leadership team at the school and is responsible for bringing evidence-based, research-based um, teaching strategies to teachers so that they can use them in the classroom. I support teachers and I encourage them and I work with students. Um, so on some days I'm working with individual students to help teachers and some days I'm teaching with teachers in the classroom. I deal with a lot of data so that I can see that our students are making growth um, and progress, especially in reading and math. Um, I'm available for teachers to contact me for any instructional uh, needs that they have in the classroom, whether it's planning together, um, brainstorming ideas to solve different problems. Um, and I'm just there to kind of be their cheerleader. I also relay information from the administration to teachers and any concerns that teachers have, I present those to the administrators on their behalf, so. How long have you been an instructional coach? This is my first year in the position of instructional coach. Before becoming the instructional coach here at Hubbard, I taught second grade for two and a half years and I taught first grade for 19 years. And I never really had the plan to move beyond the classroom, but when the position um, was up for um, being filled, I decided that I would like to interview just to to have a greater impact beyond just one classroom of students, but to be able to have an impact on more students. And um, I'm able to serve teachers so that they can better serve their students. How did your education and experience prepare you for this position? As an elementary instructional coach, um, we have a strong focus on literacy and math. And my educational background is in early childhood education. Uh, that's my bachelor's degree. And then my master's degree is in reading and literacy. So um, the work that I've done with reading and literacy really helped me in the classroom, uh, teaching children how to read and it helps me working with teachers because I've had a lot of experience helping children on a wide range of levels learn to read. Um, in first grade, you know, you have students who come to you 
who may not know all the letters of the alphabet or all the letter sounds and some children who are reading on a third grade level. Mm -hmm. So um, over the years, I've accumulated a lot of strategies that have shown success in my classroom. And so I can share those with other teachers in all grade levels. Um, and just working in leadership positions as a teacher, whether it be on the leadership team or being in charge of different school events, those experiences have helped me um, hone in on some of my leadership skills so that I am able to work with different um, groups of people, different personalities, um, people with different levels of experience so that we can all be on the same team working towards student progress, because that's the ultimate goal. What do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? So on a day-to-day -day basis, I try to schedule at least 60% of my day working in classrooms or directly with teachers. Um, that way I'm accessible to them if they have any needs. Um, I can work it out where I can meet with them during their planning or before or after school. I also assist Dr. McCord, our principal, with anything that she would like for me um, to do. And sometimes that's reporting data, looking at our star reading, star math assessments to see um, the progress that we've made. I conduct weekly meetings with our teachers we have weekly, excuse me, we have monthly curriculum data and grade level meetings. In the curriculum meetings, we just check to make sure all the classes and teachers are on track with the curriculum calendar. Um, we also report out data from any unit tests that uh, students have taken, any growth that they saw from pre-test to post-test, we discuss different strategies in different classrooms and talk about what was effective and what works. And I share research-based strategies with teachers during those meetings too. Um, and then I'm also involved in training for myself as an instructional coach. And I participate in the Middle Georgia RESA Instructional Coach Consortium, so. That's a lot. Yes, <laughs> it is a lot. And, you know, um, it's really fun. I didn't know what I would think about being out of the classroom. My favorite part of being a classroom teacher is building the relationships with students. That's the part that I love the most. But now I see that I'm able to build relationships with students from every area of the building. Um, you know, if I see a child who may come in the building every morning um, and just kind of have a hard time getting motivated or getting eat into their day, then I can, you know, give them an extra hug or ask them how their morning's going or, you know, remind them, go get breakfast so you can start your day off the right way. And um, so even though my position changed, I'm still able to build relationships with students. What's the most rewarding part of your job? I, 
I really enjoy serving the teachers. I know how hard it is to be in the classroom. I know all of the demands placed on classroom teachers and classroom teachers are the ones who are working in the front line. They're the ones who know our students' um, specific needs and have the demands of trying to work with students at differing levels. So being able to serve teachers in a way that helps make their job more manageable makes me feel like I'm contributing to the overall school environment. And I know teachers want to serve their students and their families well. So any part that I can play in that um, really fulfills my work and what I'm doing here at Hubbard. Um, what's the most challenging part of your job? I would say just being available when teachers need me. Um, I have a sign on my door that says if I'm in a classroom or in a meeting, um, I have a coffee bar set up in my office so teachers feel you know, welcome to come in and have a cup of coffee or um, to stop by before or after school. But I'm in different places all the time. And so um, just having a system so they can leave me notes and let me know their concerns um, is sometimes a challenge. You know, there are days, most often, I don't take a lunch because that would eliminate me being able to work with a group of teachers that have planning at that time every day. So I kind of eat on the go. I wanna make sure that um, everyone feels supported. And, you know, it's kind of like teachers differentiate for their students on what students' needs are. And I do that in a different way. I differentiate for what teachers' needs are. And so what is the top priority is kind of how I plan, but there isn't a need that's less important. So I just try to work it all in. What are some specific ways you support teachers and students in the classroom? I plan with teachers. Um, here at Hubbard, we're a STEM certified school and we are going to be um, going for recertification next year. And we decided to um, get recertified as a STEAM school. So it's the science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. So I help teachers think of ways that they can incorporate those subjects together and, um, you know, what make their work more effective instead of feeling stressed about the limited time that we have with students on campus. Um, I help teachers think through any barriers that they have, whether it be scheduling or um, they've taught a standard a certain way and they feel like they just need to approach it differently. Um, and I also work with individual students if we have any needs above and beyond the classroom. Um, when we have to do our STAR testing, I pull students who may have been absent and help classroom teachers get them caught up. I help with 
doing running records, which helps us determine the reading levels that students are performing at. Um, I help students um, with their math fact fluency. I give them in uh, technology, like technology resources to use in the classroom. Um, I try to be hands-on because that's what I really enjoy so that I get to work with students and teachers. Um, what do you think has been one of the biggest academic successes at your current school? I would say that our students in fifth grade last year outperformed the state on the milestones in the area of science um, by a significant amount. And that's an area that we experienced growth even during you know, the period of COVID and schools being shut down and having virtual learning, we still had growth in that area. Um, and so that's a huge achievement. We were very proud of that. It also um, is a huge success to us being that we're a STEM school. And I think sometimes social studies and science can kind of not get the same focus as reading and math, but they're all a part of a balanced and you know diverse education. So we're really excited about that work that's happening in our building. And um, it all starts in our pre-K classrooms. We talk about building a strong and firm foundation. And in Monroe County, we have three elementary schools one middle school and one high school. So we're a system of schools. And so the work we do here at Hubbard, you know, it feeds into our middle school and then our middle school sends students to our high school. So every year when we get the graduation rate, it belongs to all of us because our entire um, educational staff here in Monroe County contributes to the education of our students who are you know, moving up through Mary Persons and anything that we can do to give students a strong foundation and prepare them for the next step um, is a huge success. Well, that's all the questions I have for you today. Okay, well, thank you so much for talking with me. I enjoyed giving you a little insight as to what I do on a day-to-day -day basis and just a half a school year into it, I would say that I really love it. Before we go this morning, we leave you with the sounds of the Mary Persons Chorus under the direction of Charles Hernandez. Enjoy and have a great week.
Thank you for tuning in to Monroe County Schools Radio exclusively on Magic 100 FM. Have a great week. Remember to be a champ. And as always, go dogs. The thoughts expressed in this segment represent Monroe County Schools.